And please turn in your Bibles again to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, we'll be looking specifically at verses uh, 7 through 15. So let's hear together the word of the Lord to us this day. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You remember that this section of narrative comes after Jesus' teaching in the previous chapter concerning persecution. And it opened with a question brought from John the baptizer. You remember looking at that last Lord's Day. That question revealed John's doubts. And Jesus responded to them by pointing John to the scripture. He, he had the followers of John go back and tell him what they were seeing Jesus doing and he couched that in language that would have taken John right back to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 35 and 61. And he ended that word to John with a, with a blessing, a beatitude on those who remain steadfast in their faith in him. Well, John may have doubted Jesus. But Jesus never doubted John. That really comes across in this passage, doesn't it? Uh, not only did Jesus not rebuke John for his doubt, he gives him the highest of accolades. The, the most wonderful praise for his faithfulness to, to God's call. And he does this, I think, not only to not only to commend John's faithfulness in a public way, as he says this to the crowds, but this is also going to, as we'll see later on in the chapter, lead to, to his rebuke for the rejection of John's message and his own message by the majority of people. Uh, unfortunately, though men talked about John, in lofty terms. They did not receive his message as they, as they should have, and we'll see that in the, 
in the next passage we look at, the Lord willing, in a few weeks. So, so John gives this beautiful encomium, this beautiful, uh, this beautiful presentation concerning John. You, you know, you, you see the genius of Jesus in this, in, in this speech. Uh, I would encourage you to look for the genius of Jesus. He is the, he is the smartest person who ever lived. And you often see that reflected in the incredibly beautiful language of his speech. And, and that comes across in, in such a wonderful way. There's a poetic quality here to Jesus' speech as he, as he poses these three rhetorical questions and then, and then comes to an incredible climax. And even to a climax after the climax. Well, he begins then with this rhetorical question, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? All you crowds of people, what did you go out to the uninhabited area of Judea down by the Jordan to see? What drew you there? He's saying, he's, he's trying to get them to begin thinking by using this rhetorical question. And he poses a suggested answer. Did you go out to see a, a reed shaken by the wind? Now the image of a, of a reed, this, this long plant with a hollow stem and plumes at the top that, that blows in every breeze. It, it's easy to see the, the imagery that he's presenting there, right? He, he's not saying, did you go out to look at the reeds along the Jordan River? He's, he's having them reflect on, on John's character, on John's nature. He's saying, in effect, did you go out there to see someone who's easily swayed by public opinion? That's, that's what, what this image presents. Uh, somebody blown by the wind. One of our recent visits out to uh, Vermont, I remember... Uh, watching my little grandson, with my little grandson Ezekiel, watching the wind. They live on a ridge and they get a lot of wind there and it was particularly windy that day and all the plants in the garden are blowing and the corn in the field behind is waving and the, the, the trees, the, the leaves on the trees. And, and Ezekiel turns to me and he says, look at the oak tree. And he stands up real straight and he says, the oak tree is like this. The oak tree is unmoving, but John's an oak tree. That's the point Jesus is making, isn't he? You, you didn't go out there to see somebody that's just parroting the party line, that's just saying the same thing everybody else is saying. You went there because he was different. He stood out from the crowd. Well, what did you go out to see? Jesus asked again. To go out to see a man clothed in softness, literally says there, one clothed in softness. <laughs> Is that what you went out to see? Once more, the, the description doesn't fit, does it? What did John wear? Any of you kids tell me what John wore? What did John wear, John the baptizer? Wear the kind of clothes you wear? What did he wear? 
Hamill's here and a leather belt around his waist. I don't see any camel hair in the, in the congregation today. And they wouldn't have seen camel hair walking the streets of Jerusalem very often either. John's wilderness wear would remind any Jew who really knew his Bible of another person in the Old Testament who wore camel's hair and leather. Anybody remember who that was? When King Ahaziah, we're told in 2 Kings chapter 1, when he fell through the lattice and was in his palace and was injured, he sent messengers to the wrong place. He sent messengers saying, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But those messages were intercepted by someone. And that person that intercepted those messengers at the prompting of the Lord said, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you will not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. Messengers come back, and the king says, how come you're back so soon? And they said, well, we met this guy on the road, and this is what he said. Nehazi said, what kind of man said that to you? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the king says, that's Elijah. That's the prophet of God. What Jesus emphasizes this difference in John's wear by adding to what he said, behold, remember whenever you see that word behold, it means look, listen, pay attention, it's an attention-getting word. Notice this, those clothed, clothed in softness are found in the houses of kings. It's the wealthy and powerful that wear the nice clothes. They can afford the, the soft garments of the wealthy. Booker T. Washington was a slave for the Civil War, and, and growing up as a slave, they, they had only the roughest of clothing, and he had to wear flax shirts. And flax shirts, when, when first made, are extremely uncomfortable and scratchy until you wear, wear the fibers some. And, and Washington says in his autobiography that his brother would wear his little brother's shirt until it wasn't so scratchy so that Booker wouldn't have to put up with that pain. Soft clothing is for the wealthy. Interestingly, we read of royal robes in the book of Acts. Herod Antipas, the brother to the Herod that's put John in prison, 
is, is giving a speech. Some people have uh, upset him and he got mad at them and they decided to try to make up for him and so they interceded with his chamberlain and, and, and got Herod to, to come visit them. And he dressed in his royal robes. Josephus describes some of the royal robes these kings wore. He said that, that there was a robe that he, that he wore that had gold fiber in it. And, and in the bright sunlight, it would glitter uh, almost as though it glowed. And Herod comes out in his beautiful robes and starts speaking. And the people say, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. John's not wearing soft clothes. In fact, ironically, he's wearing his rough clothing in the fortress of the king in a prison cell. Well, a third time, Jesus asks, what did you go to see? And notice how he's built to a climax with this third answer. There's two wrong answers, and now we get the right answer. Did you go to see a prophet? Now, it's easy for us to glance at this reference, and this historical reference, and, and just sort of go on. But I want you to stop for a minute, and, and I want you to to think about the historical circumstances that would have made multitudes, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people go out into the Judean wilderness to see a prophet. Now, part of the reason we can easily miss this is because between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament, well, there's there's, you just go from one to the other in our Bibles. What's the last book in the Old Testament? You guys asleep today or what? Don't say Malachi. It's not the Italian prophet. Okay. Malachi. What's the first book in the New Testament? Matthew, now tell me how many years between the events recorded in Malachi and the events recorded in Matthew? 400 years. What was happening in Greenville 400 years ago? We're going to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the town. What was happening 400 years ago? <laughs> Sixteen twenty-two. Think about everything that's happened since sixteen twenty-two to today. That's the frame of reference. Think of it. Four hundred years go by after Malachi preaches, and no other prophet of the Lord appears. Think back into the history of Israel. Remember the patriarchs: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are called prophets, and that's the that's the origin. Uh, of the nation. And, and then there's the, the years of slavery in Egypt, and, and then Moses arises. He's also called a prophet, speaking for the Lord and, and leading his people. And then you had God raising up the judges after the, 
the conquest under jo Joshua, and, and then you had the institution of the kingship, and then we saw the theocratic prophets, the, the prophets of the theocracy, Amos, Jonah, Hosea proclaimed the word of the Lord, and then came Micah and Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah, even during the exile in Babylon, the Ezekiel and Daniel and Obadiah, and after the restoration, after they came back to the land, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then silence. No word from God. Season after season, year after year, decade after decade, century upon century. No word from God to his people. Israel has ceased to exist as an independent people. They're living under occupation troops of a world empire. The priesthood is corrupted. The people have apostatized from true worship. All hope seems lost. And then one day you hear the news. Somebody comes into your town and says, you know what? There's a man out in the Judean wilderness. And he's proclaiming the word of the Lord. A prophet has shown up. When was the last time the people endured, the people of Israel and their history endured a period of 400 years of silence before God finally responded? When were they 400 years languishing in slavery in Egypt? And then suddenly someone came in, Moses appeared and said, I have a word from the Lord. He has heard your prayers. If that's what you have to understand. It's in these people's minds as John appears after 400 years. A prophet. God has at last spoken again. In our day, what can this mean but deliverance? It meant deliverance from Egyptian slavery before. This must be the time of God's deliverance. That No wonder thousands of people hear about it. John's more of a celebrity at this point than Jesus. Everybody's heard about John. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. And then Jesus ratcheted it up again. <laughs> now he says, John's a prophet, yes, but he's more than a prophet. Now how do you get more than a prophet? That's what we need is a prophet who's proclaiming the deliverance of the Lord. How can we have more than a prophet? How can there be, well, I mean, it seems, it seems wrong even to speak of an ordinary prophet. They're all sent by God. How can you say more than a prophet here, Jesus? How can John be more than a prophet in his status and significance? 
Well, now Jesus shows that he knows John better than John knows himself. <laughs> In doubting Jesus, John has doubted his own calling. And Jesus is going to remind him that he's doubting the prophetic words of his own father, Zechariah. Here's the first indication that he's more than a prophet in verse 10 there in your text. Look at it. Jesus is quoting here Malachi. Malachi verses 1 through 4. Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 is what's in Jesus' mind here, and he quotes part of it. Behold, there's that word for listen again. Pay attention. I send you my messenger. The word literally there is the word we translate angel sometimes. Direct messenger from God. Before your face, who will prepare your way before you. What's he talking about here? A prophet is prophesying a prophet. Okay. Here's the first way in which John is more than a prophet. He's a prophet that's prophesied by other prophets. Malachi is prophesying that before what he refers to as the great and awesome day of the Lord, there is going to come a final prophet. And notice something else here. We should mention at least in passing. And Jesus quotes this. He says, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. In the original, it says before me, who will prepare the way before me. Jesus purposely changes the language here. Because in that way, he identifies not only John, he identifies himself. He's identifying himself as the Lord of Israel here. We may come back to that. Now skip down to verses 13 and 14 where he, Jesus again refers to the book of Malachi. All the prophets and law prophesied until John. R.C. Sproul used to like to tease his, his students by, by asking them to name the last prophet of the Old Covenant. And of course everybody would turn to the end of the Old Testament and choose Malachi and Dr. Sproul delighted in saying, no, 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 it's John. <laughs> John the baptizer is the last of the old covenant prophets. The new covenant doesn't begin until Christ institutes it at the Last Supper. So in a sense, we have the old covenant here culminating with John. That's what Jesus is saying here. All the prophets and law prophesied until John. And he he names John then with a different name, doesn't he? Elijah. He's referring again back to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Jesus is saying, John is that Elijah. Now, he's not Elijah reincarnated. The Bible is not teaching reincarnation here. But it's exactly what 
John's father, Zacharias, said in his prophecy. Remember, Zechariah was, was robbed of the ability to speak because he doubted the angel's message that he, was, he and his aged wife were going to have a child. And he doesn't get his speech back until the day in which this little baby is circumcised and named. And you remember, there's a controversy because his mother has said he's going to be named John. And everybody's saying, there's nobody in your family named John. Don't you want to name him Zechariah or something? And they make signs to Zechariah, and he writes on a tablet, his name is John, in obedience to the angel. And at that moment, he regains his speech, and this beautiful psalm of praise comes out of his mouth. And listen to what he says, in part, he will turn, that is, this child will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see why John's more than a prophet? It's not John's character. He's a godly man, undoubtedly, but there are many godly people before him. But it's his position, it's the place where God had put him as the one who would personally point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. It's that personal introduction to Jesus Christ that's in mind here. And now we're ready for the true climax of what Jesus says about John. Go back to verse 11. Truly, your translation may have there, literally, Jesus says, Amen. This is one of the places where Jesus amens what he's going to say before he says it. On rare occasion, I've had somebody amen something after I said it. Jesus amens what he's going to say before it <laughs> to let you know the importance of what he's saying. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? No one has been born greater than John. Every human being in the human race, David, Solomon, Isaiah, name all the, the, the most exalted saints you can think of, Job. Jesus is saying, no one's been born greater than John. Now again, the greatness of John's calling is not necessarily what we think of as great. For one thing, you might be inclined to think, well, John, is this is great. He is going to be a tremendously successful prophet. I mean, if he's the greatest person that's ever come along, I mean, we're going to have revive on a heartbeat here. 
And it wasn't the case. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, came to see and hear him, but a relative few received his message. Probably barely more than a handful. And in fact, now, remember, John is languishing in a prison. And he will be, he will be beheaded at the whim of a wicked woman and a weak king. John's ministry is not characterized by wonderful success. That's not his greatness, and Jesus underscores this in verse 12. That's what, this is what he's saying in verse 12. He's giving a really unusual description of this period of time. From the days of John the Baptist until now, okay? So, in John's time and mine, he's talking about right now, in this transition, transition period, what does he say characterizes it? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, some people have tried to argue that, well, maybe what this is saying is that uh, you have to be really aggressive in seizing the gospel. But it's really hard to argue that from the actual grammar. Well, it seems much more likely, and it fits the context, since Jesus was speaking of persecution in his teaching in the previous chapter, and since we're seeing, going to see the persecution arising later on, Jesus is saying, John's message is rejected. He has come speaking the word of the Lord, but he's going to be meet, he's met opposition and persecution. He's even now in prison. And he's going to go on to say in the next passage that we'll look at, this is what they do to me too. Herod's imprisonment would lead to John's execution, and later, Herod would be complicit in Jesus' own crucifixion. Jesus says this is the way it's going to be. He says later in Matthew in chapter 17, disciples haven't quite got the picture yet. They haven't quite understood everything yet, and they're asking him again about Elijah. And he says to them, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, and they, but they did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. The advancement of the kingdom of heaven always meets with the resistance of the world, and you know that because it meets with resistance in your own heart. You struggle with temptation, with the proneness to sin. The kingdom of heaven advances against opposition. It will advance, and it will triumph. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is saying, don't expect it to be an easy road. I don't come 
to call you to an easy life. I come to call you to pick up a cross and follow me to die to yourself. That's what he's saying. Well, let's put off that to another time because Jesus makes an even more amazing statement next. And this is where I want you to wind up. Look at the last half of verse 11. He has just said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And now, he says, yet, but the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, at first glance, Jesus is really playing with their heads here. What on earth is he talking about? How is it that John is greater than anybody who's ever lived, and yet he's least than anybody in the kingdom of heaven? Is he, is he saying John isn't saved? Well, of course he's not saying that. But again, remember, John's greatness consisted in where he was in history, the timing. And so Jesus is saying that, that John's coming at precisely that point gave him an incredible privilege, one that no one else had, of introducing him as the Messiah. But at the same time, he doesn't get to see Jesus finish work. He will be executed and gone from the world scene by the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus is saying, and, he, and I think he wants these people to hear this. He wants you to hear this. If you are a member of the new covenant that Jesus establishes by his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, if you're a member of that new covenant, you possess a greatness that not even John had. And that greatness is not because you're such a wonderful, terrific person. You may well be a very nice person. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not a matter of your own achievement. It's a matter of the blessing of God. And you need to appreciate, if you're a new covenant believer, you need to appreciate the tremendous blessing that Jesus is saying is yours. You know, people sometimes say, boy, I wish I'd lived backwards when Jesus was, was alive, you know. See his miracles and everything? Your blessing now in the new covenant is far beyond that of people who merely saw Jesus in a physical sense. You have the benefit of the finished work of Christ applied to you by the, by the Holy Spirit. You need to appreciate that blessing. And remember, that blessing is not to dead end with you. Don't be like the Dead Sea. 
taking in and not giving out. Remember God said to Abraham when he first called him, when he said, I'm going to bless you. Remember, he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. The greatness to which you're called as a new covenant believer, the blessing that you have as a new covenant believer means that you are to be a blessing to further the kingdom of heaven, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and, and used to glorify him. Is that happening for you? That's the sign that you're blessed if you're a blessing to others. Remember also, Jesus, Jesus tied greatness to serving. Remember that? He, he said on more than one occasion, evidently, to his disciples, if you want to become great, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you need to be a servant of all. Are you a servant? Does service characterize your life? Is there a humility about the way you live. And you know the greatness that Jesus is talking about here. An incredible blessing. Don't miss that. If you're outside of Christ right now, don't miss this blessing. Hebrews warns us since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, that is the old covenant message, it was reliable. Every bit of it was fulfilled. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There is a great salvation for those who embrace by faith Jesus Christ as Lord. He has ears to hear, let him hear. Know what Jesus is saying there? He, he's, he's not looking out there and seeing some people have ears and some people don't, okay, physically. Okay, he doesn't see some people out there that are deaf and so that wouldn't make any sense anyway, right? No, he's talking about spiritual ears. Do you hear with your heart the word of God and respond with faith and obedience? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And if you do, if you do, there is great blessing. Let's pray together. Only Father, we... We, I'm sure, can, can only just barely begin to really understand the incredible blessing that it is to be called to be your people, to receive the forgiveness that is offered to us so freely in Jesus Christ, to know, to know the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to, to receive all the manifold blessings that you pour out on your people. We, we, we can only begin to understand how wonderful and great that is. Uh, so, so help us to grow in that understanding. And, and I pray that as, as we embrace by faith your word, that, 
that we would receive your blessing in order to be a blessing, that we would receive your service on our behalf, your, your marvelous service and humbling yourself and becoming human and, and taking upon yourself our sin, clothing us with your righteousness. Help us to receive your service so that we can be your servants. Know the joy of following in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.